Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 13 of the Justin Palmer Show. Today's guest is Cyril Morrell, the original, unofficial Prince of Seychelles. If you don't know where it is, look it up on a map. I didn't know where it was either when I first met him over a decade and a half ago. Cyril is an incredible human being. He's worked at the UN. He has uh, always had the light within him in this deep connection to the universe. I don't know how else to put it. He and I both felt that from the very beginning when we met and we, we met in a very intense way for two young dudes where we were given an assignment by an honors professor to read the battle scene between Hector and Achilles in a, in a epic called the Iliad. So we just talked it was episode number 13. That's both of our lucky numbers. I wouldn't even think about having anybody else on for episode number 13. Check it out. I hope you guys enjoy. And uh, always shout out to Chris Williams, the man, the man behind the scenes that makes the magic happen in this digital universe. It's a Justin Palmer show. Here we, here we go. Here we go. Epi so, lucky episode number 13. Uh, I got number 13 tatted on my neck. Yeah, <laughs> no, of course, of course. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it PG 13. Let's yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I would dude. I was speaking of that. Yeah. I was watching the karate kid with yeah. the kids, which is PG, the original, the OG karate kid, not the oh. remake with Will Smith's kid, like the original right, right, Macho. Right. Yeah. They curse sidebar, so sidebar. much. Yeah. Cobra Kai on YouTube is meant for you. Really? Yeah. Cobra Kai is a continuation of the same actors now at their age <laughs> where they resume the story of, of the Karate Kid. Okay. But yeah, but keep going. No, I no, it just, I was, it was the, I love that the PG ratings used to be yeah. so lax where they were calling each other assholes and like saying, it like a lot, it was actually a lot of cursing. And then I like that anymore. I mean, I don't watch PG movies. So. No, PG is like you can't have any curse word. I mean, that's kind of a reflection of the times, if you Correct. think about it. Um, well, what times, right? Because currently things are extra sensitive, but PG may be like a couple of years ago. You know, millennials in general might be a, a little bit softer, right? Mm. And then Gen Z, potentially a little softer than that, right? Which one is Gen Z? They're the the ones like the younger. Um, I think after um, the ones who are born after eighty two, which is a cutoff for millennials. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. Yeah. Wait, yeah. No, the the cutoff for millennials millennials is like eighty six or something, eighty seven, isn't it? Uh, no, it's it's actually either eighty two or eighty four. I know you're an eighty two baby. Um, I'm eighty two, bro. I'm definitely you're, not you're, millennial. You're, you're, you, some consider that a millennial, but definitely 84 is like officially, like all parties agree at least 84. Some parties agree 82. Hmm. Yeah. Because this is really a science, right? Yeah. I mean, fuck those parties. 82 is carved out. <laughs> well, you're tech. I mean, I, I think you're a Xenial, um, which is that it, little Which gap. is not yeah. Z generation. It's just a gap. No. Xenials are like special breeds, the ones that kind of missed the technological boom. Mm. Right. That explains a lot. Yeah. 
That explains why I put like 90 hours into figuring out how to set up this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're two years apart and it took me 15 seconds to set it up. Yeah. (laughs) Mm, mm. It's probably because you're a millennial. It's definitely because I'm a millennial. I'm one of the, um, like I was an OG tech nerd. So Mm. like, yeah, in high school, I, I took on all the new technologies. Like I went from 36k modem to 56k modem to dsl to cable which i believe it was rcn back then which was a lower level cable then i went to time warner this is all in new york um time warner cable and then time warner got outdone by i think i forgot who it was was it verizon yeah verizon came in with fios eventually right yeah and I used to be on Verizon DSL, which is slower than Time Warner. So it's all this, and it took a long time to build the infrastructure. Complete sidebar here, but yeah. What, what were you doing on the in, well, the whole uh, the entire podcast is a sidebar. It's gonna be a sidebar, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this is lucky number thirteen, bro. Dude, let's it's just a, go hard. Let's just go hard. Let's just go, gonna, let's go hard in the paint. Dude, we're going hard in the Bill uh, beer style. That's right. That's right. Coming out with teeth in your elbows. Oh my god. No, well, what so? 30, I mean, 3656K for anybody, for, for yeah. a current oh, modern person that I have to explain that it's like when your phone jams and crashes. Yeah. So <laughs> the way I look at a 56K modem, so this is what, this is what it is. A 56K modem, which is, I only was, I was on 36K for a very short period. It was like a free, I was, I was like basically trying to find a way to get free internet and it was 36K, but 56K was a standard for, at least in my household for maybe a couple months, right? Um, but 56K meant you could download at 5.6 kilobytes per second, which I don't know if people understand what that is because we're now downloading at megabytes per second. But it, it's, it's really, it's very, very slow. You couldn't stream music. You couldn't, um, to download MP3s back then through Napster, which I don't know if anyone will know what that is. But to download a song would take you like, maybe an hour, an hour. I can't remember. It took, it took forever. So you have to really, you have to be really specific about the music. Yeah. While you what, were what was your primary use of the internet at that time? Like, what were you doing? Well, when, while I was learning, right. Cause I had not really, I didn't know what it was originally. So when I got 56 K, um, I was just browsing the internet, Alta Vista, which, which used to be the Google of today, right. Just searching for stuff. Um, I had interest in games and, just looking stuff up, right? Uh, and then music. Music became like a primary focus. And then movies. So music, movies. And then once I got DSL and then cable, I started doing like DVDs, you know, regular DVDs, not fancy Blu-rays. And then <laughs> and then PC games. And uh, like, I think PS2 games. I used to like bootleg them. I ran a business um, doing illicit software. Statute of limitations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah. So yeah. I, plus this is just a reflection of the current space and time. Any, anything after yeah. recording this, it doesn't exist. I mean, dude, back then Napster was, you know, everyone was on it. Everyone was like basically, you know, stealing proprietary, um, if you want to call it stealing, but they were taking stuff for free. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. I went deep underground on that stuff. I was on hotline. Yeah. Like I was doing like peer-to-peer private networks, like just joining private groups um, and like doing a sharing community. Sounds so, like what the dark web is today. 
It might be. It might be. <laughs> I, I've never been on the dark web. Um, Me neither. So I don't really know what it's like, but I hear it's pretty fucked up. Like you can buy I kind of picture it like and oh, people, geez. humans. Yeah, you can like yeah. all kinds of what? really nasty yeah. shit. I was going to say, kind of like my visualization of it is like the equivalent of people living under a bridge in like <laughs> urban cities. Like that's like the visualization that I get when I hear dark web, which is probably even way worse than that. Oh my God. I mean, it could be a virtual version of that. No, no, it's, it's worse than that, dude. Living on the it's bridge, just home, you just, you know, like you have a community there and like you kind of band together, right? Based on what I've seen in the movies, because I've never lived under the bridge, nor have I interacted with people under a bridge, mm. except for trolls virtually. Um, but <laughs> that's a nerd joke. <laughs> you said that with such sincerity. Oh, it's true. I love trolls. What, um, uh, I, w- I wanted to ask the... I haven't reflected on this in a while. I wasn't a big user of the internet. I mostly used it for like email communication when it first came out, which is around the same time. Yeah. You, you were not but, on AOL? Like no, AIM? I was, but it was, we had one computer that was like my mom's boyfriend's at the time. Yeah. And he kind of monopolized it and was, he was very into it. He was, yeah. he was very into like communicating with his distant relatives and like starting to map out his family tree. And that was kind of my first exposure to it. Got it. Okay. I, I wasn't really interested <clears throat> in the computer. Yeah. I was out with my friends, like hanging yeah. out, you know? Um, but one thing Napster is an interesting discussion because it started something like take it's been what almost 30, 25, 30 years since Napster came out something 20 years. Somewhere yeah. In that range. This is, yeah, I think don't, it's, don't, don't look here for yeah. facts. Yeah. Yeah. That reflecting on it after two decades, I, it was actually a positive thing in my mind. Oh yeah, absolutely. Disruptive innovation, right? Like this is what technology does. Like you don't, you wouldn't have, Spotify and all the other streaming services without a Napster, right? Yeah. And true. all its derivatives. So it, it, it's, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of tech disruption, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I understand the implications that it hurts some people, right? You can kill jobs, um, especially when uh, Skynet takes over and humans are no longer needed. <laughs> but um it's it does create i mean it, it creates new ways to live and to you know ideally it creates to improve um efficiency um in human life and makes it so we do less mundane and routine things and and it makes our lives easier right there's a downside to technological innovation obviously if you use it for yeah. long you know for the for using if you use it with dark energy right mm. or negative energy but um generally speaking I think a lot of the creators have good intentions or at least they don't plan. They're not trying to use it to, you know, DDoS people like all the tech guys, right. Who create innovation in the space. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's interesting that you said you people, it's meant to do mundane things. And I think in a lot of way it it is, I agree with you. I also think that, we've allowed as a society we've allowed technology to continue to create even more mundane things for humans like humans haven't transitioned from 
what you can actually leverage from technology. And there's still this like grasp on trying to do the mundane. Um, uh, the example that I'm thinking of, I mean, this is philosoph this is like deeply philosophical. And I, what I look at is like manufacturing, mm -hmm. what used to take, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 people on the production lines now takes two highly skilled people and a, and a lot of technology and machines. And what, what I'm thinking of is when we went to Katera and yeah. they were in the process of mapping out Katera. For those of you who don't know, Katera is as close to a modern age construction company that you can get. Right. I guess is the yeah. way that I would put it. I mean, you got modern age. You have to explain that a little more. I mean, that, they, they, were, they were using technology more than any contractor <clears throat> that I've seen. Yeah. To prefabricate. Prefabricate, yeah. And so they're using a lot of machines and there wasn't very many people on the floor. And I, I've just from reading and seeing, I see that in a lot of industries. But what that does is create this massive re-education gap in the people that were doing that because it's so hard for people to change. They're like, I'm a, you know windshield manufacturer at the auto plant. That's what I right. do. And then there's like these unions and all this thing and it gets layered up in society and people don't switch that easily. Yeah. So I'm I mean, curious, like what your view is on that, like that destructive component, is that good or bad? I mean, it's, it's neither, right? I, I, I've never spent the time to do a cost benefit analysis or just, you know, see the economic impact of gains versus, you know, job losses versus job gains, um, positive externalities versus negative externalities. I've never really, you know, spent the time to evaluate that, but anything that creates progress in my view is good, right? And it requires humans to adapt. And if you're unwilling, because everyone is able to adapt, if you're unwilling to put in the effort or you have you know, challenges, systematic challenges that are in, in, in your way to facilitate adaptation or change or progress, then that needs to be addressed, right? Either by a third party or another person, government intervention, you know, subsidies, whatever you want to call it, um, or, you know, friends and like family, people lending a hand, you know? So my, my view in general is technology is good right? Until you have it in the hands of a bad person, right? It's a tool just like anything else. A knife is good until you stab someone with it, right? It's good when you're using it to make food, to cut trees. Well, not really a knife, but you know what I mean, a sharp blade. Mm -hmm. um, but if you put, you know, tools in the wrong hands of people or people who have ill intentions, um, then that can create, you know, pretty bad things. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So, that's, what, yeah. that's, what, that's how I kind of see it. I, I wanted to ask one of the, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the UN as a tool. <laughs> and that's a good, it's a good segue to it Oh God! because I remember when we were, when we were in college, Sarah and I went to college together, had a short stint living together till mm. that building went up in flames. It did go up in flames. I don't think, I don't think the universe could handle the two of us living together. I think it was a sign. It was, it was a sign. Like, yeah. like stay close, <laughs> but not too close. That's right. That's right. Um, but you, you were always, from my perspective, you were an idealist in the context of human progress, and you, and you were very fixed. It was so interesting for me to, 
experience what I was pursuing as, you know, growing up relatively humble in America and that pursuit of just pure individual success. And then in having deep philosophical conversations with you, I mean, we didn't really know what the fuck we were talking about because we were in our twenties, but we were still very philosophical and you had this very global positive, um, service oriented mindset. You always had that. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, how that developed within you and how it evolved as you started to work for the UN. That's a loaded question. Okay. Um, I don't really know how it developed in me, to be honest. Right. Um, I I was never like growing up, I was not. So Seychelles, I don't know if you mentioned that in your intro um, of me, but like I'm from Seychelles, uh, which is an archipelago off the East coast of Africa. I grew up, you know, in a, in a country or like on the main Island in a place where, there wasn't much, right? I mean, I, I lived, I wasn't poor, right? But that wasn't much for a long time, right? Um, and I entertained myself um, with my uncle, like I had a, a young, an uncle, the, the youngest of my mother's siblings, who was like an older brother to me, right? And we just, you know, made, made do with what we had. So, you know, played with sticks, made bows and arrows, uh, created fake swords, created basketball hoops with bicycle tires and, you know, basically played outside a lot, right? Um, And I didn't see much prosperity until I left Seychelles and I I went to Belgium for like a year and then I came to the United States. It was more when I came to the U.S. that I was like, holy shit, this world is completely different. It was a massive shock, especially as like a 14-year-old, right, or a 13-year-old. But, um, I, I, you know, I, I do, I did... And I still do to this day recognize that the disparity between the haves and the have-nots, right? Um, and I think seeing that disparity kind of like just kept like it it, it awakened me, uh, and it made me feel like something could be done to reduce that gap, right? And then I studied economics in high school. Like I did AP economics and then I did it again in college well, I continued in college. And then I started learning standard, you know, classical economic models, which I can't really say really work, but whatever, that's a different conversation. But, you know, in, in classical economic theory, you know, there's, there's a conversation of, there are ways to um, reduce the gap, right? Um, and one of the ways is to transfer technologies, right? Have, lower income nations or developing nations adopt new technologies, right? Which according to economics, create massive positive externalities and are the long-term um, sustenance of economic growth, if you will, right? Technological innovation, which also makes sense. And that's, I think, I don't want to say it's immutable, but I think it's a big part of economic growth, right? Um, Absolutely. And progress in societies. I mean, now we talk technology, but in general, it's just innovation. Technology is just the most recent, like a digitized version of human innovation. So innovation creates progress. So transferring or applying technologies to uh, developing nations would, in a way, at least in theory, help them uh, help themselves grow. So I, I, you know, 
that's a long way of answering, but the idea was that I was aware of the disparities and the more I studied, the more I realized that it was something you could do, right? And that's kind of why I went into the one, right? Because I thought it'd be the, the biggest scale where you could make the largest impact. I wanted to save the world as a, you know, as a college graduate. So I joined it um, bright eyed and really thought that I could, you know, I remember there was a, um, I think it was a UNESCO. Oh, ECOSOC. ECOSOC is a chamber, all right, economic and, oh, I can't remember it. Anyway, but like a chamber in the United Nations Secretariat where like they have all the conferences regarding economic um, principles and economic development. And then of course as UNDP and all that stuff. So there were a lot of uh, departments and agencies within the UN that were, that, that, whose mandate was to help developing nations. And I thought, you know, going in there, I'm like, I'll just get in there and find a way to do that, right? Bring technology over to smaller countries, especially Africa. Because, you know, for me, Africa and Seychelles are obviously parts of Asia um, and the South, uh, South Americas and even the United States, right? There, there's poverty everywhere, but there's a lot of absolute global poverty in, in Africa. And I wanted to find a way to um, reduce that by implementing better technologies and doing that through the United Nations. Yeah, that's um, surprisingly, I mean, su surprisingly well-rounded. And I'm, we've talked about this a lot Yeah, between, you know, over the years, over the decade yeah. plus, almost decade and a half that we've known each other. I'm just realizing how much your experience of starting life in Seychelles, transitioning to Europe and then coming to the US just gave you such a global perspective. It gave, it gave you such a, a wide snapshot of the realities that exist and the different realms of economic prosperity. It's pretty amazing. Thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't fully process it until you just explained that. It's, which is great. <sighs> We learn something about each other every day, right? Every day, man. Including every a, day. on a public forum. But also, you know, a big part of it, like, I, I believe in, it's going to sound really silly, but like justice, right? Like, I feel like everyone should have a chance of a healthy life, right? Kids should not be dying from malaria. Right. Or any kind of, you know, waterborne diseases in Africa. Like, there's so many issues in this world. And I feel like it's unjust. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I was younger, I, I was bullied, right? Um, and I remember in Seychelles, I have, in Belgium, in New York, in everywhere. Seychelles, when I was really or, small, when I was in six foot three, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was bullied. Um, and the guy who used to bully me was really, I didn't understand why. Right. So I didn't, I didn't understand how somebody can do wrong to somebody else for no reason. Like that never really computed in my head. And like, as it was happening, I, I, I was like, okay, this is just weird. So I, it happened a couple of times and. Then it became something that was, I think, became habitual. I'm not sure how long, how long it lasted, but eventually I knocked him out. But you know, like I, I had to fight back. I don't I mean, you, that's what you do with bullies, right? So, but I, I, it left this taste in my mouth. I'm like, when I see something that's just unjust, or there, you can make a situation better for somebody else. I kind of implicitly take it on, right? So my brain just automatically, because I think it's been coded in my head, is fixed the, the injustice, right? Mm -hmm. So social injustice, injustice or injustices, however you pronounce yeah. that or however you sure. say that. However you want. Yeah. So 
that when I see stuff like that, it, it may, it, it lights me up a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm very passionate about stuff like that. Still am. Right. I mean, it was, I didn't lose my, um, I'll answer your second half of your question about the UN. I didn't lose my passion for making change, like to, for improving the world or making a, an impact on the world. You know, I mean, we, we did that at synapse, like we're, you know, like we, like that's part of the reason why we work together. Right. So like doing, like doing real estate differently, but, um, I, I, I don't like standing by and looking at bad things happen or, you know, or I, I, I do stand by. I don't like, it, it makes me feel a certain way. Right. So that yeah. I, I like to do something about it. So that's what I try to do. And yeah. when I, and, and when I joined the UN, uh, Obviously, the UN is a massive organization, and I can't tell you it does a lot of good or it does or it doesn't do a lot of good, right? I can't measure its its um, impact on the world, but I I do like deep down I feel like it does it does at least some good. I felt at the time when I was there after four years, well, actually after a year, and over the year, like the following three years after that, I st- like it reinforced my notion that it was just not doing what it was supposed to, that, I, that it set out to do, right? Um, and I felt like people didn't really care about what the UN stood for that worked there. Not everyone, but some people, right? And it, it left a bad taste in my mouth. So I decided that I wanted to leave and, you know, I'd find a way to make an impact in a different way. So I left. Um, but you know, like I was also just, I was young, I was very passionate, I was very impatient, right? Uh, and I was very judgmental. Like people do different jobs for different reasons, right? I didn't really put myself in anyone else's shoes. So uh, the, the few people that maybe I interacted with at UN that, you know, disappointed me or you know I judged, I may have done so unfairly, right? So mm-hmm. my my view back then was definitely skewed. Um, by my own biases that were not necessarily, I'd, ar- I'd argue that I don't think they were potentially righteous, right? So, yeah, I, I mean, you're aggregating at that age the way that society is structured. You're aggregating experience in the life and professional realm, and it's hard to. I mean, I I totally resonate with what you're saying. Everything that you say or that you just said applies to my life as well, like going through and working at a private equity fund or even the the earlier jobs that I did, right? I mean, how judging people that I worked around in like a body shop and a warehouse was how I motivated myself to change that situation. Yeah. Right. And it, it, it was very immature at the time in the way that I experienced it. However, the good that came out of it was far beyond any of the negative externalities from that experience. Right. And right. it led me, it led me to pursue a different path in life. Um, and I feel that way in your journey too, because I, re- I remember when you left the UN and there was, there was some bitterness in like, uh, in, within you, yeah. that was my observation. And it's been amazing to see you stick with that ethos of, the spirit of helping other people and you, you, it really is who you are. Thank you. That's also very kind. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, I was definitely bitter, right? But my my bitterness or my anger, whatever it was, that the negativity that was stewing within me was not just because of the UN. It was also because you know I I did a lot of good at the UN. Like I I took on, especially the last two years I was there, I took on a massive project that I ran, and I was partly bitter because I was not given the financial recognition, if you will, right? I wasn't getting compensated for the level of work that I was performing because of its bureaucraticness, right? In the end, they try to keep me and they would have given me probably anything I wanted, but I was over it. Um, but yeah, I was just, you know, like bitterness comes from within, man. Like it's a reflection of your own state, right? Like it's not the UN that made me bitter. It was me that made me bitter, right? And like I didn't accept or I didn't accept yeah, my own um, ability to control my life, right? So I'd blame the UN, right? Like you have to, I'm a big believer that whenever there's any kind of negative feeling, it's usually a reflection of, you know, yourself. So now I can say that because I read a lot and I meditate and all that stuff. And I spend a lot of time working on myself. But back then I didn't have that kind of view. But I, I did, it was simplistic, my, the way I was uh, reacting to the UN and the way, I, and it's a good thing, you know, like it's, it's almost like I had to go, I had to be relatively basic and primitive in my thought process. And it gave me rage. It gave me like a fire. Maybe like, I'm like it, me implicitly judging everyone else as dumber than me. Cause I would never, I was never rude to anyone. Right. And thinking that I was better than the rest of the people I worked with um, led to me being where I am today. Right. So mm. it, it, I can look at it and say, it's, it's not good to judge. <laughs> Hindsight is 2020. 20. Um, but you know, recognizing that in reality, it was just like I had something more to offer to myself and to maybe the world, as opposed to being like, the, the UN doesn't deserve me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, direct, like just being able to just want more out of yourself, right? Which is what I think it came out of. I mean, what it comes down to um, led me to pursue this crazy path I went on, uh, leaving the UN, all the risk I took, right? So, and it makes the journey that much sweeter. I, yeah. still, I still have a lot of love for the UN. I, I look back on it now and I'm like, that place is fucking dope. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. you were very myopic in your pursuit of your first job out of college to be at the UN. I remember it's you, the only I mean, place I, I applied. It's, that's right. Yeah. And I was, you know, like, I, I don't, I applied for a position and they put me in a boiler room and made me a water boy. It was very humbling. <laughs> you know, that, that, I, <laughs> And then it told me for you, two yes. years. I'm like, look, I was nothing wrong with water boys, right? But I, I, I worked very hard to to be, you know, I I did very well in college, and I worked really hard. I didn't, you know, I expected to get what I was interviewed for. Um, that that expectation was not met, and it left, you know, a, a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. But you know, the higher ups that saw me and I spoke to, you know, recognized that maybe uh, I wasn't supposed to be putting water on podiums. But it was mm-hmm. great, man. Like I, it, you know, I learned a lot about myself doing that, and about others who were trying to keep me. Like they're like, "No, you should stick around and be a water boy for two years, and then you'll move on." I'm like, "What? what I don't understand the system. What? What does that mean? Why would I do that? I don't want to. I don't want to put water on podiums." They're like, "Well, that's how it is." I'm like, "Yeah, nah, that doesn't work with me." <laughs> um, what, that's how it is. What, what was it like? for 
you to start to let go of external rewards and recognition? When, when did that start happening for you? I don't know, man. External reward. I mean, another Maybe the outcome, question. letting go of the outcome. Sorry. Yeah. Hmm? Sorry. I, there was a little lag. So I think I talked over you. You were saying, yeah. So like external validation, I think in college, I started letting go of that. I started reading Eastern, like a lot of Eastern philosophy. Um, so I went inward. I used to be very, you know, extroverted and like just explosive as a person. Like I'd be, I'd mouth off and I'd be very angry. Like whenever I didn't, I didn't agree with someone, I just like let them know. And, you know, um, but I started doing a lot of reading, um, of like, especially Japanese, Japanese, um, samurai philosophy, right. The Bushido. Um, so that kind of started like balancing me out a little bit. And I saw, I started thinking differently about, um, extrinsic rewards. Right. And like just people, um, getting approval of others. So obviously you still, I'm still growing and you're vain and you, you know, like I had all these things, like you want to look good while playing basketball. You want to, you want to attract X, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever. So I wasn't completely, I had not completely let go of the external um, focus, but I think I started that and you never really fully complete that, that journey. And I think that's a journey of um, enlightenment, right? Like you're pursuing higher consciousness. But I'd argue that, you know, like last, in the last year, ever since I started meditating, it, it, made a huge difference. Like I really don't, it's hard for me. Like I don't really think about um, how I'm perceived, right? I do to the extent that I don't want to hurt others, right? So I try not to, like I check myself. So like, okay, well, is this, am I being conscientious? Because I could say something that, you know, is opinionated and I, you know, and I mean it even kindly, right? Like I use it, like I'll say something about um, a political candidate and, you know, that could offend a friend of mine or something, you know, like, and I think about that, you know, while I'm doing, I'm trying to be conscientious, but generally speaking, more and more, I care less about how I'm perceived, right? And external rewards, uh, I mean, if you're talking about money, never, money has never really motivated me, Right? I mean, you remember in college, I was like, you know, people would tell me like, get a job at an investment bank. And you know, like you have the grades, like your top, your magna, all that stuff. Like you can, you can get the best jobs, go and apply like what you did, right? Like basically, I was like, nah, it's not for me. Like I, I didn't really care about money. I cared about impact, right? Um, but I mean, I got older and I realized like, I, you know, I, I've been broke, I, I went broke, right? And I. I realized that I, at some point, I'm like, you know, my idealism needs to somewhat, I don't want to say be curbed, but I need to also be realistic and I need to be a little, you know, a little more thoughtful sometimes. And I just, I remember when I, when I was broke and I was in a little bit of a dark place because my, I just separated from my first company that I helped create. I was like, this is, you know, like, 
it doesn't feel right. It's not fulfilling and not having money in this, in the society, in the world I live, especially I've never not had, had never not had money. Cause I, you know, the UN paid well also it turns out. Um, and I, you know, I always just, I lived comfortably and I didn't seek too much and I had exactly what I needed. I always, I've always had exactly what I needed. So maybe going broke is exactly what I needed. Right. Mm. Um, but then I, I realized like I needed to focus a little bit on um, finding money, right? And like working towards building some kind of financial security. And I think once you get a baseline, at least for me, once I get my baseline, like I don't even think about it anymore, right? Like right now, I, you know, I, I'm very content with who I am in life. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't swim in cash at all, but um, I'm, I'm, I, I'm very happy and I give back a lot. So yeah, once you, you get a lot. Yeah. And once you do that, it's, you know, once you get to that point and you focus on contribution, I think the external really kind of fades away because you, you're really living more internally. Mm. Right. Yeah. And like, it's more like you, you're, you're vibing on the whole, like we are all one. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. <laughs> Thanks man. True. Like you're asking some heavy questions, bro. Well, I think this is meant to be a deeply philosophical. I mean, we're we're two philosophers. We always have yeah, that, right? From the true. day, literally, from the day we met, when yeah. Miss Gluck gave us that assignment oh to read God, the fight scene from the Iliad, and yep. we spent like six hours in the library just talking and not even practicing for reading. You know, yeah. it's, it, it was clear that we both had that philosophical mind of just. Yeah wanting to understand more about the world and the universe, wanting to talk about it, wanting to ideate freely. Yeah. And I, I enjoy, I mean, you and I have the opportunity to sync up almost every day yeah. and I enjoy the ideations and the philosophy that comes out of that. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that gems, bro. I mean, every single call we have, it could be a podcast, right? For sure. Just, yeah. For so sure. It's, it's a, it's a get, yeah, I'm, I'm truly blessed to have you in my life that I can, we can have those conversations. Right. Likewise, um, man. I appreciate yeah. that. You're going to make, you're going to make me cry on the podcast. You're such a little <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> I love you too, man. Oh, remember that time with Miss Gluck when she, uh, she asked me if I did the reading for the, for the homework assignment. <laughs> And I straight up said, no, this is yeah, an honors like, no. literature class. And I'm like, no, I did the spark notes. <laughs> yeah. I also remember that she chastised the shit out of you for reading spark notes. Yeah, she, she was very me, offended. She, yeah. She was like, that is really unacceptable. Yeah. I remember that was a, that I was, was just being heresy to her. No, I know. I, I know. It I was, was like, it was the right thing to do, you know? Yeah. For many reasons, probably for yourself too, in your own journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. dude, I, I mean, I kept doing spark notes. Some of those readings were such fucking boredoms, man. Yeah, it was tough. <sighs> that was, that was the, I, when I look back, that was probably the most challenging class I had ever taken from this because I had zero, bro, I, I wasn't even at college level reading when I started yeah. college. Right? So, like, going into, and that was my first class in New York after a big transition. And having, the reading assignments were just, they were, they were almost too much. It would yeah. be like 40 pages of dense things every night with, and that was one of 
yeah. four, five, six classes. Correct. It was a lot. And I, if I remember correctly, she broke my 4.0. Yeah, she broke my 4.0 too. Yeah. Yeah. She broke us, bro. Yeah, she did. But yeah, but yeah. even that was like, That's we good. both needed that. Yeah, yeah. We, we both needed a little bit of chink in the armor, you know? Like, and like her, like the way she refuted my arguments in, in my papers. I'm like, this is not, no, Miss Gluck, this is not right. You know, I was like, this, I don't get it. She was so harsh. Yeah. I, anyway. I sorry. remember having a, I had a conversation with, I was very concerned about my 4.0 at the time. I mean, <laughs> it, I mean you remember how crazy I was. Cause I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. dude, it's hard to explain to people who, it, I dropped out of high school and yeah. my own journey through college was a fucking outright mission to prove to myself yeah. that I could, that I was even worthy of being in an academic setting, yeah. which is totally fucked up when I look back on it. I mean, but dude, that, that class, that, is it? Cause you're, it, it helped form, like it, it helped shape who you ended up being. Yeah. Right? I have so, no issues with it. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I really, I'm just, that was the experience at the time right. that I recall. You know, it was, I was very fixated on perfection. Yeah. Perfection at all cost. And yeah. that as a person who likes to achieve things, any test of perfection is monumental in a lot of ways. For me, it was. Yeah. No, I and she it. sat down with me. I talked to her cause she gave me like a C minus and I'd never gotten that in college. And I was like, Oh fuck. I'm a high school dropout. Yeah, I'm fucking going in. I'm going to start like yeah. smoking weed and being like uh, shooting heroin on the streets. Like I literally, that's where my mind went, man. I was yeah. in, a, I was in deep suffering state yeah. trying to prove to myself yeah. that I could, that I could be in a norm in society. And yeah. she sat down with me and she was like, Justin, you're going to get an A in this class, Yeah, but it's okay to get a C on this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh, fuck this yeah. lady. What is she talking about? And I remember thinking about it and just that little message of like, Hey, I recognize that you're working. Yeah. Recognize that there's always improvement was yeah. a gem. That's, that's, a, that's a good point, man. Yeah. It was a yeah. real gem. Yeah. No, I remember like college, you know, like we have great memories, but I remember it was, it was stressful for me too, man. I had, I was on a full ride. So, I had to maintain my grades, right? And I didn't know what the standard was. I didn't know what GPA I had to maintain. I don't think they ever told me. So I assumed, you know, if they... <laughs> island style, bro. I mean, because they, re like, hey, they rejected my scholarship originally. And then they gave it to me, like, six months later after I started acing everything. It's a long story. I'm not going to go in that path. But yeah. Okay. Um, so, that, yeah, but like, I didn't know what, my, what the standards were. Like, I didn't know what I needed to, to maintain. So I was like, I'm just going to get a 4.0. And I just kept it until Gluck, I think, gave me an A minus or a B plus. I forgot what it was. Yeah. I was like, okay, well. And then afterwards, I I started hanging out with you and you, you just ruined everything. <laughs> <laughs> my, favorite, yeah. my favorite experience out of all of college was when we did your... I, I think it was a psychology, the thing that we recorded with the action oh figures. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. That was one of the greatest things ever. Yeah. Oh, it is you, Red Warrior. Yeah, <laughs> no, we, we, uh, so. We should publish that on YouTube. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't, that, that camera, that old technology got, mm. um, 
it, ren it was rendered obsolete. I think it was a, I don't remember what it was called actually. But now yeah, everything pilot. is digital, but that back then it was like those little mini cassettes. Ah. Uh, you remember like, yeah. I used to film the basketball games as well. But yeah, no, dude. Oh my God. That was a gem. Also, basically, I had to, it was my uh, semester project. I had to come up with a, a medium or some, I had to give a deliverable, either a PowerPoint presentation, or it could be a video, a movie, whatever it was, or write a, a, a thesis, right? And then that would put together every psychological um, concept that was taught in that class, right? And I was like, oh, and it was like one of those, another one of those honors class, right? So with a bunch of really stuck up kids, I man, I was not meant for the honors program, but yeah, so we didn't end no, up. They like, weren't all stuck up. Huh? They weren't all stuck up, but a lot of them were. A lot of them were. I mean, I'm it was, we were Everyone yeah. was like young and entitled, you know? Bro, they were, I mean, it was, I, w I didn't fit in that group at the time. Let's just say that. Um, I'm I'm speaking very loosely when I say again reflection of myself more than it is of them right but uh, <laughs> I remember that video was hilarious because we had to put we put it together in like an hour at 3 a.m. the day before it was due <laughs> and Cyril I just style studying yeah I just wrote I wrote the script and I was like I need you to help like make these action figures talk <laughs> and read the script and you played it to perfection hey man. Give the man a microphone and uh, uh, the show, you know, yeah. the show goes. Yeah, for real, man. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I got an A. The guy That's said, amazing. this is the most creative. Like, I, I can't understand what you did there. I, but your concepts were you actually learned a lot in this class. And this hacker up job is a little rough around the edges, but it's incredible. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like it in my, all my years of teaching. I'm like, oh, man, thanks, bro. That's innovation Creativity. right there. Creative yeah, creativity in its purest form. Hey, man, I think it's laziness, but yes, I think the two can maybe be laziness. inclusive. Mm. Yeah, yeah, They're not, yeah. Laziness is a is a form of efficiency. If True. you still create, yeah, if you create output, right, and if it's That's, good output. I, I'm trying to help Anna understand our son because she's like, he's just lazy. I'm like, he's not lazy. He's really efficient. Yeah, he is really efficient. He's like, yeah. like Maxim, can you uh, get your shoes on? And he's like, oh, can you just go over there and grab those shoes and bring them over to me. I'm just so tired. And she's like, he's lazy. I'm like, that is so efficient because he knows you're going to do it. Yep. 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 That's got to balance it out. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm reading the warrior kid with him right now, which is Jocko Jocko's book for kids, oh, which really? is a good, it, it's interesting because a lot of the philosophy, and oh, I don't I'm listen sorry, to Jocko. Wait. Jocko, the guy, the, the, the seal. Yeah. The savage. He wrote a kid's book. He actually wrote three. <laughs> That's crazy. He's trying. It, it's, it's, it's good. It's very, uh, it's obviously overt as yeah. an adult to read it. Um, I, I actually think his training in jujitsu already has taught most of the thing, most of the concepts. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It's good for him to see it in a different context. Right. And I wanted to go back to something because you mentioned you got bullied. Yeah. Which is, it's a traumatic, I did too, when I was a kid yeah. at different times. Right. And, and all the way, you know, being a teenager and stuff like that, I was, I was very, uh, uncertain of myself. And yeah. a lot of that was just the situation that I was in as a kid and not having, not having my father present was a big factor for me, as you know. Oh yeah. 
And I'm wondering like, yeah, bully in general, bullying in general is terrible. But there's some element to it that like what it gave you in terms of your spec, your perspective is so much of a gift in the universe for you to, as a human, look at other people's situations and say, this shouldn't be, ha- this is an injustice. I want to help. You know what I mean? Where we, we have this culture right now where every, we're trying to stomp everything out. Yeah. And I get that we can make improvements, but some of those things need to exist. And I'm not saying that bullying in a uh, violent or any, any intense form should exist, but there is some element of like, you have to let your kids, you have to let kids in general or people in general, even in the workplace, because now people don't know because we're stomping it out as a society, people don't know how to deal with conflict, which is just a reality. Yeah, no, I get it. When you say stomp, like the intolerance, basically, yeah. of any kind of opposing view. Yeah, I mean, dude, there's a lot. Yeah, I, this is. I, I think we're. It's a continuum, right? And, um, whenever you have a continuum for anything, it's challenging to draw the line where a little too much has occurred, right? So I, I, I do agree that we're in a society, especially right now, where things, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity and a lot of that, I believe, is warranted, the sensitivity. And um, the as a result, things being stomped out or, you know, um, like strong reactions or banning, whatever happens um, as a result, of that, I, I kind of understand and to me, it's it's like, hey, read the room, right? Like, at this moment in time, is I it, it, to me, it's okay that there, there might be a little bit of oversensitivity, right? Hmm. Without getting specific. Um, but once things normalize, if they if they normalize and if things improve, I mean, I, I, it, this is a very heavy conversation because you could talk about what causes sensitivities, right? And you can go down that path and see what what's the source of pain that's been created, right? And then you can, uh, I mean, that, that conversation will take five hours. But keeping it just on this level, I think you have to read the, you have to read the temperature, right? And see, okay, well, is it oversensitivity because, um, you know, George Floyd got killed and there's a protest and people are saying, well, lives matter. Is, it, it, is that okay? Like, I personally don't think so, right? I think you read the room and know when to pick your battles, personally. Um, that's my opinion. Um, 10 years from now, when I, if somebody says all lives matter, I would hope that people would say, yes, all lives matter. We're all equal, right? And there's no systematic racism and there's no bigotry and there's, everyone's treated as, as such, right? So there's no need to, to identify, say one group matters because, and then others will feel sensitive to that shit, right? But when it comes to kids, I mean, you, you brought up kids. Like, I think, like, you know, cyberbullying is a real thing. Like, when you talk about technology, um, you know, with the Instagrams and Facebook, the Twitters, like, it's people, it's so easy. The difference between what you and I went through and, and the generations before, because we went through, I was actually on AIM, and there was obviously, I, we were the first trolls, and there was, there was cyberbullying. Fun fact, my AIM nickname was Cyber C2K. 
Tell me that's not a cool name, man. That's a cool name. Cyber I feel like CTK. that should be your current Instagram handle. Nah, the Creolito, man. No, nah, I'm not. But no, so uh, back back then, if you bullied, like if you, you people knew who you were with your handle, right? Um, so Cyber C2K was, everyone knew it was Cyril because there were very few people online. So if you started like a cyber war and started talking shit and somebody copied and like cop- screenshotted and sent it to somebody else and like create all the drama in high school, it'll come back. It actually, there were altercations that erupted in my personal life because of that, right? Um, but nowadays, anyone can just hide behind a keyboard, create a, a username, right? And start spewing venom towards people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that in kids, you know, without developing the psychological um, calluses or like the, the strength to be able to withstand some of that stuff and just not know how to deal with it, without, with, with that being, you know, if you have unfiltered, um, I guess, exposure to, to the web and to um, people's, not, you know, nonsense postings, it can create, uh, you know, snowflakes and it can create like, you know, really sen- like overly sensitive people. So maybe there is a need for moderation um, or moderating um, technological use for children. I don't know. Like that's, that's another conversation, right? Like you as a parent, I imagine give, give that a lot of thought, right? And your kids are still, I, I guess, I don't know, you know, their age, their age groups, if there is bullying or if that stuff happens yet, because I don't really know kids. It does. I, yeah, it does. Yeah. It, do, it not, <laughs> my kids don't have a lot of access to technologies, you know, it's pretty limited. Mm-hmm. And they and they won't. I'm not allowing them on social media from. Yeah. Like Max has an Instagram account, but I post stuff. Yeah. And I don't. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, he, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't interact with it. I just set it up for him because he was interested in it, and I wanted right. him to kind of see what it was, without wanting to. And he ha- he really has no interest because he doesn't know what it means. Right. He values right. the in person connections. Yeah. That's good. But yeah, they do. I think for him, he, he got bullied really young, actually very young, like five, six, yeah, like five, six-ish when he transitioned to a new school. And it's just, it's boys being boys, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it was a crew of boys that had been together in class for two years and he was the new kid. Yeah. And he's such a, you know, he's a, he's a gentle soul at the yeah. end of the day. And that was what prompted me to sign him up for jujitsu. And I've watched him completely transform his level of confidence. Yeah. In a short, in a two year span of training jujitsu, he, I, he's not worried about that anymore. I can see it in him, you know? Right. I mean, different contexts would probably provide different things for him. If he was in a situation that where he was getting bullied, I think he would be able to handle it. And if, and I'm, Uh, I'm sorry, I talk to them about it. Right. And I, I look, I think this is a, this is an important point. It's like, you have to teach these kids how to stand on their own. And I think you're right. The internet, there's zero consequences to saying yeah. some terrible things, zero. Mm-hmm. And that's not how the real world works. Mm-hmm. If you stand in front of somebody and you <laughs> spew that venom, right. some, you're going to light a fire, right? Yeah. And you may, you may be the fire or you may be the victim of that fire. Yeah. And the probability in a violent scenario is basically 50, 50, right? Yeah. For no yeah. matter how tough you think you are, the guys that train the hardest and know violence the best, they know it's a 50, 50 game. Yeah. And there, yeah. when, when you have that element, it instantly 
automatically manages your ego for you. Yeah. You know, in a, in a lot of ways, some people let it go. They let it fly. Yeah. I was a hothead too at times. And yeah. it's, I think going back to your point on like meditation and the, the journey goes with, it goes in, yeah. it goes inward. Once you start that journey, you let go of all that other stuff, you know, where it's yeah. like, I just don't, somebody can come spewing venom at me and it doesn't impact me in any way. And that's from years of meditation and introspection and reading and reading about presence and yeah. consciousness and yeah. those things, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. Um, you know, I, I would argue that it's easier when you, you have your circle of your wheel of life in place, if you will. Right. If, if we're, we're blessed, well, we, we've made a good life for ourselves. You've made a good for life sure. for yourself, right? Like you have a beautiful family. Thank you, man. You know, let me come on. Uh, so everything, you know, things are great. You know, you got that Aloha, Aloha spirit going. You're for fishing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> fishing. Dude, you can experience fishing. that. Look there, dude, I'm not going to lie. There's people here that I can see that I interact with that are, they're in suffering state because yeah. of, what's going on in Washington, DC or in, you know, in the universe of what you were just talking about. And I chose consciously to be in the now with my family. Yeah. Put that as a priority because that's what this transition in this time is about. And it, it, it you can be anywhere. You have to do that work you yourself, do. right? It's, it's really, there's no shortcut around that. There isn't. And um, it's it's probably the most worthwhile uh, piece of work you'll ever do on yourself, right? So it's the greatest journey. The journey within is the greatest adventure that exists, right? Because it never ends and it's always fun, right? You'll always learn something new and you'll continuously self-actualize. You'll keep just hitting new, new heights and you'll just keep finding new ways to like feel bliss right um which is really crazy because when i you know when i started meditating i remember <laughs> i actually saw you meditating in the office I'm like what the hell is this guy doing man I'm like he, he doesn't know how to meditate <laughs> my judgment was just going on like yeah sure and then i eventually tried it and i'm like what the hell am i doing man i don't know how to meditate I couldn't, I couldn't say, I couldn't just sit still. My mind's running a thousand miles an hour in five different directions, right? So I'm just like, but then, you know, Steve G, respect, shout out to Steve G. Shout out. Yeah, Steve Holla. G like reminded me, he's like, look, the practice of meditation is, to practice meditation is just, it doesn't matter if you suck at it, just do it. Create the habit, right? Um, build that muscle memory. And yeah, and ironically, it, it worked. And, you know, I've been, I haven't missed a single day of meditation. Um, since I start, I, since he gave me that piece of advice, I don't remember it was maybe May of last year or June, whatever it was, but yeah, like I, I think meditation is the single most important thing in my life, right? I, I place it above everything else that in love, but yeah, um, meditation is love. Technically it's love for, for yourself sure. and love for the divine. It's, and then you know, love outwards as well um, towards the most intimate of people in your life and the rest of the world. I feel very strongly about that. Like I, 
when I meditate, man, I, I go somewhere. <clears throat> it's like everything I did in my life just makes sense, you know? And like, I have no regrets in anything I've done. None. Because even the painful things you do, you, you learn from it, right? Absolutely. And, and meditation for me just connects me straight with the divine, right? Like it takes me to the highest level of consciousness. And not every day I'm not sitting there. Like I'm not, I'm no guru. You know, I'm not a, a yogi. I don't even do yoga. I used to. Ironically, I did yoga. I never felt meditative. I didn't get that high um, when I did yoga because I did yoga as a, like, as a replacement for a- actual physical activity that I needed to do because I injured my back while playing basketball. But I actually need to burn energy. So I meditate after I play basketball or after I run. That's like the best feeling in the world. But I'm not a yogi. I'm not like a, you know, a spiritual dude in that sense. Like I don't pursue a life of spirituality, if you will. But I do pursue a life of spirituality, if you will. You know, you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? You've always had that idea. Yeah. I do. I, I know exactly what you mean. It's not in the traditional sense of going to church or associating with yeah. a religion. It's connecting with the universe. Right. 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 Yeah, Definitely. And I like, but, I, for me, it's, um, you know, I'm still, I was born, I was baptized Anglican. So I, I like at the church of England. So I still have, you know, like that I've read books about how you identify with the divine. It really, it doesn't matter. You could say God, Allah, any, any, you could use it, you know, Justin, any name you want, but it's, it's just linguistics. It's just semantics, right? It doesn't really matter. Divinity is divinity right? When you feel it, you'll know it, right? And there's no, words will not be able to describe it because words are human made and they're not divine, right? So you experience it at a high level of consciousness and all religions converge. Every faith converges, right? On the highest, like when you hit that level. So um, it's really powerful shit. Yeah. That's really cool. Like, uh, you know, (laughs) People like most people who know me, um, all my friends, like they're like, no, they, now they know I meditate. Like, but when they first started hearing me, that like I, I actually meditate and they see me doing it. They're like, my parents, you know, when they found out I was meditating, I went to Seychelles. They're like, every day I was meditating. They're like, okay, you know, it's a thing, and it's completely transformed my life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, meditation and reading, those two things. Big changes in your life, man. For sure. Isn't it wild that such um, relatively minor introspective things can make these compounded shifts in your consciousness that, I mean, they, you're right. It's an understatement. They, they, I don't even know how to explain it with words other than the transformation that you will have in your experience is incredible yeah yeah i mean it's it's just very powerful yeah um and you know i i started reading because i I used to hate reading and even today like i can't say i love reading i read a lot like i read an hour a day um i would rather play video games for an hour (laughs) dead serious like i'd rather do something you know like or play you know do something unproductive or just leisure um but it, it feels so good, right? It's one of those things like working out. You don't always want to work out, right? 
but when you do it, it feels so good. Mm -hmm. Reading is working out for the mind, right? Um, working out is working out for the body, which houses the mind and the soul, if you want to say that. Meditation is working out for the soul, right? Mm -hmm. The spirit. So those three things for me are like the most important things when it comes to like maintaining a, a beautiful a beautiful state of mind, right? Like, So I try. Uh, the exercise part is probably the, the area I'm weakest at. Like I still exercise, I still work out, I still play basketball, all that stuff. I'm I'm not a slob, but I could I could definitely improve in that area. But my reading and my meditation are on point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like the way that you said that, where those things, it's just different elements of stretching or working out. Yeah. In each realm of your life. And one thing, I think I mentioned this to you the other day. It I took a step back because I've been I've been training a lot yeah, I since I got here a lot and real hard. I mean, you've been training a lot. And, period for you, like the last year, man. Yeah, yeah, years actually, yeah. like years it, at this point. And I just took a break. I was like, you know what? My body's feeling a little banged up. Um, you know, I've had this kind of nagging neck injury that's continually yeah. getting better, but still there and has you know based on what I do from a physical standpoint changes yeah but the last the last two weeks i've just done a beach walk or, or rode my bike like very light and some days i've just done nothing you know and just yeah. let let my body rest and i've found a deep peace in that of like it's helped me reset what i want to do and kind of focus on okay let me take this time and plan what I want to start with again once I finish this rest in a few days, mm. you know, but I'm realizing more and more is like, like the way I was going at jujitsu and professor Fabio, always a shout out. He told me, he was like, dude, I know you see all these guys come in here for two, three hours a day. He's like, and that's great. Go home and rest your body. Yeah. He's like, you're, you're training hard. Go home yeah. and rest your body. Take a rest. Yeah. Don't don't run on Sunday. You know, because I was going, I had a stretch that I think I worked out for 60 days straight. Damn. That's, that's yeah. intense. And most yeah. of it was jujitsu five days a week. Yeah. Five or six days a week. Yeah, and you're you're doing this two a days too. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, that that was, was like, wild. That was mad. That was madness, man. Yeah. That also made me appreciate <laughs> sleep. Because I was never one. I didn't even I was like, I can function off any level of sleep. And I pushed myself in that way for yeah. years, for probably over a decade. Yeah. And I, I truly appreciate sleep now. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm the same way, man. Um, I actually, fun story. Uh, last night, I, I've been going to bed like nine o'clock, right? And I wake up at 4 a.m. and I start working. Um, last night I went to bed, woke up at three. So didn't, went, went to bed at nine, woke up at three. Didn't feel all right, right? Try to stay in bed. I woke up eventually. I got up at four o'clock. Uh, what about doing my reading, my meditation, all this stuff? And then um, after a call with my girlfriend, I was like, you know what? I don't feel right, man. I got really just something was off, right? Like I, my body was telling me you need more rest because I'm I'm like I'm paying extra attention to like everything about my like my being, right? So. I was like, okay, well, I think I might need some, some more sleep and I'm starving. Also, like I've been under eating all week. Um, so I'm like, let me just take a nap, 
right? So this is like maybe 8.30, 9 o'clock. I took like a one and a half hour nap. And I got out of it and I was like, I felt like a different person. Like rest is so underrated. And the more like you're, at least for me, the more aware you become of it or, and, or, and of yourself, right? Like the more you appreciate yourself with additional rest and you appreciate the actual rest. Um, I used to need seven, I used to need seven to eight hours of sleep. Um, now I think I can just do six to seven. But every once in a while, I need like I'll, my body because I get adrenaline. I wake up amped up. It's weird. Like I wake up, I'm like, go, it's go time. <laughs> you know, I'm like let's go, let's go, let's let's go. You have all these things you can do. The day is a blessing. And every morning I wake up with the same thing. Like it is a blessing. I'm alive. It's, this is awesome. Let's go do something amazing, right? Let's go be alive. Um, but every once in a while, I'm like, I'm gonna sleep in and like get in eight to nine hours. Like I told you I was in Connecticut um, and with Alessia and it was amazing. Like I slept so much, bro. So much. I literally, she's like, I think uh, that's the way the universe is telling you that you need more sleep and rest and leisure in your life. I'm like, I thought I was getting plenty, you know? But yeah, sleep is uber, uber important. Yeah. As you have developed a more conscious and peaceful lifestyle have you has there been embedded challenges in that process like building the, the muscle of meditation take listening to your body you know how how long have you been doing that because i think it's important for people to understand that like everyone's journey in that path is totally different yeah that's a great question um yes and no so yes in that I had challenges. So meditation, I already told you the first challenge was like, I didn't think it would work. But once I got over that first hurdle and I realized it's just like, doesn't matter how it feels in the moment, just keep doing it. Once I set my mind to actually doing the thing every day, then it, it became, to me, I made a commitment that I would never break. And once I make my mind up about something, I usually, I never, you know, it doesn't change on a good, like, unless I realize I'm wrong, right? Like I'm saying, like I commit, I see it through. So meditation, that commitment, pulling it up, like doing it every day, uh, no challenges in execution. I have had challenges even after I got good at meditation where I don't tap into that special place. Like I don't feel the connection with the divine, right? So that's usually when I'm not able to really come like, What's the word? Um, um, calm my mind. I can't really get into relaxation, right? Because I have so many things going on in my head, which usually is just a sign that I have to do something else and execute something else, or maybe even just work out. But I, my challenge um, for my personal journey has been more the exercise front because I think it's a very like you cannot understate the importance of exercise, right? Um, and and eating clean and healthy. Because your body, you have one body, right? At least in this medium of existence. And it's easy for you to take it for granted, right? And I've, you know, I used to be, I played basketball all my life. Um, I was an athlete growing up until college. And, you know, you sit at a desk for, or you push water and then eventually sit at a desk for uh, eight to nine hours a day. 
you, you know, and, you, and you're used to eating a certain amount of food because you're used to burning it all out, you know, through exercise. I gained a ton of weight, man. I gained like like 40 pounds of weight, and I struggled <clears throat> with my weight for a long time. And I finally, after I did ketosis, I think last year, two years ago, I like I brought it back down to like an acceptable weight. Um, like I lost 40 pounds, and I yo-yo between relatively good shape to relatively acceptable shape, right? It's like I'll put on 10 pounds and I'll lose 10 pounds easily. And that's just based on diet and it's based on um, eating habits. Sorry, um, exercise habits, right? Like my, my ability to go outside and go for a run. COVID was not easy because I used to, I was getting in the best shape of my life. I was doing boxing three, four times a week and I was running, you know, twice a week and I was just like, I was really shredding and I felt so good, man. And then gyms got shut down and I've never been one to run outside. And then my gym and my building got shut down. So I couldn't go to the boxing class. I couldn't, you know, go to um, the gym for the treadmill downstairs. And I, it took me three months to get off my ass and actually go outside for a run because I realized I'm like, I'm not burning energy and I'm gonna go crazy. Right. Um, yeah. Like I, I still ate well and I did like some like shadow boxing in my apartment and I burned some calories, but you know, compared like my watch tracks, everything like compared to what it was in, you know, February, right before things got crazy. You know, I, I used to burn 4,000 calories a day, you know, three, three to four, 3,800 to 4,000. And on an easy day, it'd be 3,600. Right. Now I play basketball, which is my toughest workout. And even when I put in like I burned 600 calories in basketball because I'm sitting the rest of the time and I'm not moving around like we used to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I only end up burning like maximum 3,600 calories. And if I don't work out, I burn 2,900, 2,800. I eat less, but you know, like the point is like it's hard. It's been a challenge for me, COVID, to maintain my, my, my healthy habits. Um, but even, you know, outside of the black swan that is COVID, just being consistent is not easy, right? It's not easy to be consistent because it requires discipline. Discipline, um, it, it, no one really, you're, if you're, I'm the kind of person that usually likes to just do whatever I want to do, right? Like I, if I feel like going outside and drinking five beers and hanging out with my boys, I want to do that, right? That's not necessarily a good thing if you're trying to, you know, lose weight or get, you know, get, get in shape. Um, so I, I, I could be impulsive, um, but I've, I've worked really hard on the discipline front. Right. Yeah. So I, I focus on what I like my outcomes. Every time I see myself deviating a little bit, I recalibrate and I sit down. I'm like, why am I doing this? The why is always very important. Right. So I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I, I remember, and then I meditate on it and then it just, I snap back into it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a highly valuable tool that not very many people focus on. It's just re- recalibrating with the why. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. and also just, I look, I've gone off, uh, I've gone off the reservation on tracking stuff. Yeah. And what I've found, because it, I spent a lot of time tracking it kind of similar yeah. to what you're doing right now. And, I chose to pull back and just focus on listening to my body 
right? And listening to my sort of the consciousness within. Yeah. And I've found that I haven't skipped a beat. If anything, I've pushed even harder on the days that I felt like I needed to push, but from a very peaceful place, you know, from a place of like the other day I had a, I had a real intense soft sand run that Mm. from the first step I was like, fuck, yeah, this is going to be, it was hot. I felt like I, you know, I was, I was doing the thing. It's hot in here. I haven't drank enough water. The acoustics are off. You know, I was going down, I was going down that path. And I was like, I checked in with myself and just said, let me enjoy the process of non-enjoyment in this. Let me just appreciate it. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I, every step I was like, hmm, Mm -hmm. okay. And none of them felt comfortable. And I got done and I was very thankful to be done, but I really enjoyed the process. And I I think stopping tracking some of that stuff, I the value of it in getting calibration is great because then you start to understand your body more. There's also an element of letting go of some of that stuff. Once you realize that you have all those, you've built those tools to manage it. And I wanted to ask you too, um, why did you choose ketosis how, how did that come about uh honestly uh i tried all kinds of diets um low carb not low carb sorry uh low fat um just restricting eating uh and then one day matt uh matt matthew lobach shout out to matt yeah uh, a, friend of, a, friend, a friend of ours from college he he mentioned it to me and i, I read up on it sounded incredibly counterintuitive but then science like there's a lot of science behind it according well that's what they were claiming again you never know if it's if that stuff is really good for you right all these diets i'm not advocating for any of them but it's basically you're eating a, a ton of fat you restrict your you make sure you eat a certain amount of protein based on your bmi <clears throat> and then you keep your carbs at 30 grams net right so mostly for vegetables wow and then you eat healthy fats, right? Like just a lot of fat. So it's, it's basically like, it's similar to the carnivore diet, but you need to have a lot of fat. Um, and then you, you eat some vegetables. And, you know, I was like, this is a, this is actually an enjoyable eating, this is an enjoyable way to eat, right? Cause it's tasty, it's satiating. But it was the first, like the first week of ketosis, your body goes into a little bit of a shock. You get like this, what they call a keto flu. Mm. And like, cause you're, you're, you're switching from burning glucose as fuel to burning ketones, which is the fat molecule. Um, and that's, that's a process, right? So, but then once you're in it, you feel like, I remember when I was doing ketosis, like I felt incredible, like really just clear, like no spikes in energy levels based on what you're eating. Right. You, I just felt crystal clear minded, um, apparently your, your brain burning fats is a good thing. Like if you get healthy fats into your, like up to your brain as a source of energy, mm. it, it really likes that. So that's, that's the theory behind um, some of the, the benefits of ketosis, but yeah, it just felt really good. And like, I, I could handle it. It was an easy thing for me to follow. And I saw results like within two weeks, I lost maybe like 10 pounds. Right. Wow. Yeah. It goes fast. You lose the water weight really quickly. So, um, but yeah, it was because Matt recommended it and I had, I was like, All right, I'll try it out. And then once I tried it, 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 it worked for me. So once it worked for me, I stuck with it. 
Yeah. What yeah. did you read anything on it, or you did, yeah. was there like a resource that? I mean, I, I, I yeah, I, mean, I went online and I just looked up ketogenic diet. Um, I was doing uh, CKD, which is the cyclical ketogenic diet. Okay. Which is um, you basically stay in ketosis six days a week, and then one one day you 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 carb load, <clears throat> right? Okay. And that's usually good if you're heavy on the workout, right? Mm. Um, like people who, who are lifting weights. A lot of weightlifters and bodybuilders do this. Um, they, they, they undergo ketosis, according to the, my reading. So I, I, I did a lot of research. I mean, mm. I just, Matt said it, and I, I, back, I went and trusted, you know, trust and verify. Sure. I, I verified what he said, and, you know, it seemed like there was, there was a lot of support for it. And, you know, eventually I stopped doing ketosis. A cyclical ketogenic diet, and I went. I went into full full ketosis, which is no cycles, just no cheat days, none of that. And that's when I saw real results, right? Mm. Um, yeah, that was crazy because you can't. Really How did you feel? Amazing! It was one of the greatest feelings ever. And and I'm like I wasn't good, right? I was not doing a good ketosis. The good ketosis, you're not eating peanut butter when you're hungry, right? You eat like you're you're really being smart about what you put in. Like I was just not eating carbs, but I was eating, you know, unhealthy fats. Like I would like what? stuff bacon down my mouth, right? Like I was, <laughs> that's not, un- I mean, look, a little bit of it is not bad, you know, but that, that's not it. Like I would have that, like I'd have charcuterie just lying around and I'm like, oh, let's eat some of that. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, I'd eat pepperoni. Just, I'd take pizza, I'd just pull everything off the dough, just stuff in my, you know, I'm like, <laughs> that's good. That's good. It's really tasty. I, I was like, I really loved ketosis. But then when I went to the doctor after losing all that weight, he's like, yeah, your cholesterol, bro, is sky high. So I was skinny fat. You know, I got to a point where, <laughs> you know, you've heard that term, right? <laughs> I've been that at times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I was like, I lost all that weight. I was like super skinny looking, but I had like all the flab and uh, not that, I was not that much, but like my blood had a lot of cholesterol in it. Unlike to the point where they're like, you're close to needing medication or requiring serious intervention. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's like, what have you been doing? Like, why is it like, what have you changed in your diet? I'm like, oh, I was on, I was on ketosis. He's like, were you doing the good kind or the bad kind? Actually, he didn't know what the fuck ketosis was, which is weird for a doctor. Well, maybe it's not. It's a nutritionist thing. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, I then switched. I stopped doing ketosis. Like I've been now, I just eat balanced, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but you're fasting multiple. T- uh, what, what's your? Do you have a schedule on it, or you just fast when you want to? I try to do intermittent fasting, right? Um, eat 16 hours and you know fast for eight, or rather, sorry, eight. Eat eight hours and fast for 16. Right? Oh, I was like, damn, dude, that sounds good. <laughs> no, so intermittent fast, like I, I was doing that, but then when I, you know, I don't know when it was, but I started waking up at 4 a.m. and it's hard. You know, and I go to like, um, now I have no real routine when it comes to, I'm actually under eating. I'm not getting enough sustenance. Um, so I'm trying to figure that out. But uh, that's also because I haven't cooked in a long time. And, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll sort that out next week. But generally where speaking, Creole no, no rice real, no real fit diet. In. Hmm? <laughs> Sorry. Where, where does Creole rice fit in on the keto? Creole, the, first of all, fried so Creole, Creole fried rice. Sorry, that is sorry. not keto. That is not keto. That is, um, and it's not healthy because I'm, <laughs> I'm using like Polska sausages. 
So kibasa, which is like, who knows what's in that stuff, right? Yeah. But it's delicious, and you can't really, you know, you can't substitute that kind of bliss, man, for anything. No, I mean, uh, I I balance it out by eating a lot of vegetables. When I whenever I eat Creole fried rice, I I eat a lot of vegetables, and you know, eat my yogurt, which people think is funny. I have like Greek yogurt with honey, and um, That's walnuts. It is. Yeah. Um, but Subin said it's uh. I don't know if I can say this. Oh, Subin is a woman. She says it's it's a bitch meal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very metro. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very metro. metro. Yeah. Oh very my metro. god. Yeah. But it's good. It's good, man. It's healthy. But yeah, no, I, I don't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I don't really. I don't really. I'm not focused on any specific like diet right now. Just more exercise, basketball. I'm playing basketball again, so. That's gotta feel good after six months almost six months of lockdown oh yeah man uh and you know like you like i i have a hard time the reason why i get injured i, I tend to over push like i overdo it i push myself a little too much sometimes last time i played i literally like i depleted everything in my system and it took me like two days to feel like i actually felt unwell you know like mm-hmm. i felt so warm i mean i imagine like, it's not the same as running a marathon but like, you know, people who come back from like long marathons, they, they say that body's like broken for a couple of days, right? And I imagine ultras, their, their bodies feel like shit for like weeks, right? Dude, yeah. Um, I, I felt pretty uh, pretty drained because uh, I just overdid it. Because so, basketball is so easy to push yourself. It's fun. There's like that feedback loop, right? You, you score, <laughs> you, don't, you, you get tired, but like you keep shooting, you keep running, and like there's like a positive reinforcement of scoring, so you keep doing it. Before you know it, you just like, you know, your muscles are all worn. So, and I'm, you know, I'm 36, man. So, and I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not an athlete. I know you, you are 38, and you're, what you're doing is incredible. It, well, I appreciate that, man. I just try to keep myself entertained. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's but it you you are I mean you've been dude from the first run that we took uh what was that two year about two years ago? Two over yeah, two years ago. Over two, two and a half years, years ago. Yeah. I yeah. thought you were gonna fucking die. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was concerned about your health. Bro, we I hadn't ran in like four years. Like I had not done cardio because of my lower back. So that was like the first yeah. time, you know? I was doing all that yeah. yoga. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with yoga. Just nothing nothing. It's just not really my thing. Yeah. Well, I, there's some, everybody's different, right? Like yeah. there's some amount of stretching that's beneficial. Yeah. And I try to, I think I told you, I read Simple and Sinister, which is yeah. uh, Pavel, I think it's Tutsalun, Tutsalin, I can't pronounce his name. Yeah, I know. Anyway, it's about. Strong First. He has a simple, it's that, it's two movements. Literally, it's the swing and the Turkish get up with a kettlebell. That's it. There's a warm up that's three other movements but it's very simple and he has a two basic stretches after that and i've been incorporating that yeah and that and that's it i don't go i mean anna's a certified yogi yeah and i see the stuff she does and i'm like that just seems wholly unnecessary for me (laughs) my body doesn't move in that way yeah but i i do feel that i i i'm actually yearning to like stretch a little bit more I think I, I make, you know, I just yoga. I think if you really get into it and you do it right, there, like it's just like meditating, right? Because yoga, the practice of yoga, 
um, is to put your body into a state of meditation. You're moving into a meditation, right? Mm. That's what yoga is supposed to do. Um, so it's like, that, like I make jokes, but I think it's actually a really great thing. <laughs> um, I'm already very flexible as a, as an individual, right? Um, so I, my muscles don't really need that much stretching. It's, you can always do more. Sure. Right. I need more stiffness. Like the, I remember Vanita used to say like the two types of bodies in men, um, Vanita is our, you know, I don't know if you, have you spoken to her recently, by the way? Uh, sorry. It, it just cut out for a second. Said, Vanita, have you spoken to her recently? Uh, I emailed her a couple months ago just to like check. I just had a, I need to check in on her cause she's helped me so much. I'm actually, yeah. I want to have her on the podcast. I yeah. Know, that's she, a great reminder. Amazing bro. Yeah. I want to, yeah. I want to have her on the podcast. But yeah, I was but saying she's, she's, she's a physical therapist slash spiritual healer. Yeah. Physical, spiritual, physical healer. That woman she, is incredible at yeah. what she does. She understands oh the human God. body in a totally different way. Yeah. But I remember when my my back problem, she's like, you know, your body is a, you have a very flexible body, right? And usually the, the two ends of the continuums are stiffness and strength and flexibility and less strength. <laughs> Right. So, uh, my core, like I'm very flexible, but my core is not as like, there's less stiffness and there's no less muscle there. So my, Mm. while some people have stronger trunks or cores, they need to focus more on, um, stretching, right? Like David Goggins, for instance, right? Uh, I fall on the other side of the spectrum where I'm incredibly flexible, right? So I need to like, instead of like doing stretches, I should be doing crunches, right? Mm. And core work. I was like doing planks. That's what would be beneficial to me. So, yeah. According to Vanita. Anyway, that's what I remember. I mean, um, she's generally pretty right about the human body. Did you ever do Pilates with her? Yeah. I mean, I still do. Um, do. My back is not as, I mean, I've obviously made great strides, but I still feel that I don't feel the sciatica as, as much as I used to. But I think the sorus band, like there's like a whole band around my abdomen, right? And mm-hmm. my back that it wraps around you and your hips. Like that, I, I, sometimes, I sometimes feel it, especially after I put in a really tough workout, right? Because mm-hmm. my core is not as strong as it should be for my body weight, right? And my size, like my, I've got a big shoulder and I have a small waist. So, you know, like workout, bro. Like I should be doing weights and like doing crunches and like doing all that stuff. But I, I don't. Because I'm not smart enough about that. I'm making you know, that's one that's one area where I should be smarter about. But I'd rather play basketball. I'd rather punch bags. You know, though boxing was getting me there. Like I remember that because yeah. all inclusive, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, in that movement, I don't know. There's something about the energetic intensity of basketball or boxing or running oh, or jujitsu or something where you just it's a do the kettlebell workout. Is and I re- in the book, he talks about um, you know only one percent of the people that read this book are gonna make it to like this level of the yeah. kettle of, of ma- you know basically like masters of the weight because he prescribes the same weight for every human yeah and the stack it's he's like you can achieve that with intense focus and it will be boring you know and yeah. it is like it's meditative for me. There was, I also felt the need to mix in 
those runs because the runs are meditative for me. That long run is a process of yeah. clearing my mind, clearing the energy. And I felt that I wasn't getting that from just the kettlebell swings. Yeah. I mean, I've never been a weight guy, like weightlifting or anything like that. I mean, I don't know. It, playing sports growing up, it's all cardio, right? Um, so my body's used to putting out a lot of energy through movement and explosive movement, right? So I've tried doing weights in college, outside of college. Like, you know, we did, you and I went to the gym, went to YMCA together and all that stuff. So did some weights. I've tried it here and there, but like, it's not really, it doesn't resonate with me. And maybe that's because I've never really fully consciously con committed to it, right? Um, and it could probably change my life. But uh, I, I really resonate with explosive, like, exercise. So basketball, punching bags. Oh, my God. I, I miss that, man. Your eyes kind of freak me out when you lit up like that. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, the amount of energy I put out, on, on, like, in boxing class, it was one of the most cathartic experiences I've ever had. Like, it's so therapeutic. You know, like, it's just, like, it's zen. But I, it, you know, playing basketball, like moving fast and like putting all the energy out in one, like in a short burst, like intermittent interval training, high intensity interval bursts for me, like work really well. Like that's the kind mm. of, I feel good about those kind of workouts. Right. And also like the, the efficiency aspect of it, like working out 45 minutes and burning a thousand calories for me is great. You know, that I can move on to do something else instead of like being in the gym for two hours, lifting weights. Right. Totally. Different thing. It's yeah. not really my thing. It, it's a different, yeah. it's a totally different experience. I, I do enjoy the balance of it. I'm trying to find that balance in yeah. the kettlebell versus to, to make the gains because you feel it, it, the kettlebell, I would strongly recommend reading the book from the standpoint that I think you'll connect with the philosophy yeah. around it. And even just, if you stay at the first level with just one kettlebell, it is by far the most total body functional strength training I've ever done. And I've done a pretty decent amount. Like I had a trainer um, yeah, yeah. at Rich Beretta in New York who that guy built the foundation of my strength for sure. Yeah, Shout out to Cedric. He, he really tested me in a lot of ways and was, there has to be some functional component to the strength training for me. It's, it, and I think it ties back to athletics where it's like, yeah. if this doesn't have a practical component. I don't want to just do bench presses. That does, it doesn't do anything for me in jujitsu, you know? Right. It's, right. I, I want stuff that's functional. And I ended up connecting with guys who were mixed martial artists that had become trainers. And so they had a high level. When you tell them what you are doing this for, they would just customize things for me for specifics, for striking, right. for kicking, opening up your hips, strengthening your core, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, well, I mean, dude, kicking is like, it took me probably four months for my hips to open up of doing Muay Thai. And the only way through it was just doing Muay Thai. Yeah. Right? Like it's just, no, I, I, that's a, that's a foreign movement. If it's, if you're not used to doing it. Yeah. And if you're stiff, like if you're not really flexible, kicking is even more of a challenge. Right. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to try um, kickboxing and I was going to give it a shot at some point. Um, even jujitsu, I'd be willing to put on a gi and, roll around with a dude just for fun. <laughs> I, I think you would enjoy the technical aspects. Yeah. The philosophical technical aspects of a jujitsu in a yeah. way that it's look, everybody has their own 
path to it or to something else or whatever. It, for me, it's, the whole thing is meditative. I bet. It's, it, the whole thing is just meditative and like letting go. And I know there's people that take notes and they write specific things. And there's like all these, I've seen these like crazy charts of like what you, these systems of what you do. Yeah. And that's not how I enjoy it. I enjoy the free flow, you know, and I, I, yeah. you know, professor Fabio is like the master of just free flow. He just, he's so elegant with that. It's yeah. I remember it's incredible. I, I came to the, to, to your school and I, I saw you guys and I saw Fabio with another big dude, like just going at it. I was like, man, that's very, that's a lot of energy. It's a lot. I mean, that takes a lot, man. And I, you yeah. know, I watched some, I watched some UFC, so I, I understand it and I understand the, the, I I can appreciate the technicality of it, right? Anything that's technical, I can appreciate. I'm not, I never really got into baseball, um, but a lot, a lot of, um, active athletes, like I call it active. I don't know. If, I can't really call baseball an active sport, but like soccer, you know, American football, basketball, anything that where you're actively moving a lot. Um, you could laugh at, you know, baseball or golf as a, as a sport, especially like golf, especially, but like, I can appreciate the technicality and like the precision required, um, on, on, on you know, at the level that they're, you know, the professional level, even just as an amateur, like I tried playing golf and I was like, man, that's a, that's a tough sport. I mean, that's a tough game, right? Mm -hmm. Tough game. Um, baseball, same thing, hundred miles an hour coming at you and you have to be able to like quick, make a quick decision to swing. Yeah. And even to throw the balls the way they do and like, and the concentration that's required to be able to, to be effective, you know? And when your success rate is at a 33% and that's considered exceptional, you know, the, the psychology that's required to be able to play like that. For me, like, you know, in basketball, I, I need to be at a 50% of, you know, shooting percentage to be able to feel good, right? Mm -hmm. um, and even then, like, uh, that's like a okay game. And then if you're, if I'm shooting 33%, then I'm like, sure. When I'm hitting 75%, that's a good game, right? Yeah. Um, and I know professionals are a different standard, but still. So I can appreciate technical sports or technical games or sports right and jujitsu i understand is exceptionally technical right yeah and while also being incredibly primitive it's like a warrior's game every sport yeah. in the end is um fighting right it, it comes down to war we're mm -hmm. recreating war so mma is the purest form i think i mean if you were to bring swords in and then it was a battle to the death <laughs> no. like so human human consciousness has moved past that point, but I can also appreciate the times when it was like you watch Gladiator and the hair on the back of your neck is like yeah, yeah. fully raised. I mean, dude, you go to war. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, like I, I've never been to war, but I imagine that's the that's the that's the ultimate game. And humans have, from the beginning of time, been violent creatures, right? Um, and they go to war, and what we did is we um, create sports as recreation of war right so yeah. martial arts is yeah. comes from like you know well not all of it but like if you think about it like the philosophy behind it is like defeat your opponent mm -hmm. right war is kill your enemy right right or take their oil <laughs> yeah these days that's, that's a joke that's a joke that's everything's a joke. evolved these days into yeah. drones technology yeah weird 
weird things. Yeah. And that, you know, the world needs just a little bit more love. You know, there's like, I don't, I, speaking true. of that, I, I, I'm going to switch into politics because this is episode number 13 and you and I are probably the two least political people that I know. <laughs> so of course yeah. we should dive into politics head first. Oh God. But I think I was thinking about this. I was watching, or sorry, I actually listened. I chose to listen to the debates uh-huh. as part of something that I'm doing with AJ and man, dude. I just heard two fucking geriatric egos go at it the whole time. And I was like, man, what would it be like if an opponent stood up there and just took the higher consciousness? Like, would you, do you think they would just completely flop because human civilization would be like, that person is weak? Yes. Uh, Yes. Um, Expand upon that. Yes. I mean, let's go deep on this, dude. Like, I think this is an important discussion. In for humans to have, yeah. Like why is it? Why do you need someone to be the best at verbal spar? It's so fucking weird. I I don't know if it, I don't think the the point is to be the best at verbal sparring. I think the point is to to make a case for your policy or your stance on matters that affect the people that you're supposed to be governing, right? And you're supposed to be representing. So, I didn't. I didn't actually catch the debate. I'm. I'm. I'm just. I can't. I'm not American. I can't vote. I have no. You know. I'm. I'm a, a beautiful observer of this amazing land. Um. But yeah. So I just. I didn't really watch it. And um. But I did hear <laughs> some sound bites, which were pretty entertaining. Which shouldn't be entertaining because you know people's life. Pe- this kind of stuff affects people's lives, right? And. I'm a, I am still an idealist and I wish there was a way that everyone could get along, right? I wish there was one party for all and it was the party of love. Hashtag blessed. You know, seriously, <laughs> like, like I wish, that's what I, I feel like, why not? Like to, you just asked, why can't we just have a little more love for each other, right? Um, but I don't think that's human nature, man. Honestly, I think that's part of human nature, mm. right? Um, there's positive, negative, neutral energies in the universe. And love is one of the most beautiful, absolute unconditional love is probably the purest, most positive energy out there. And you can get that with high, like, a, you know, higher levels of consciousness. And, you know, as you get closer to closer to enlightenment, but, you know, we live in a, in a world where there's a lot of, a lot of pain and suffering and there's a lot of, um, opinions there's a lot of charge and instead of finding the higher you know the higher road or you know turning the other cheek people fight back right and i I really i honestly don't know how you fix that right and i think until we all realize that we're one and we're all the same and i mean that Universally, I don't mean that just in the United States, right? Because international conflict is a real thing. But until we realize we're all one and we we find the silver bullet for coexisting, uh, uh, you know, as a as a as a human race, or let's just call it as consciousness, because even animals, this animal abuse, there's all kinds of messed up shit going on out there, right? Until we can get to a point where we're all, you know, in agreement, and we can find happiness coexisting. Uh, I don't think the shit's going to change. 
I don't think I'm a little, you know, I'm an idealist, but I'm also a realist. And, you know, I don't, I'm a little, like, I, I feel a little bit of a negative charge. Like I have, like, this is one of the areas where my, you know, I still feel something about some of the, like we're talking politics here, but like, I feel like all the stuff that happened after um, George Floyd's killing, <clears throat> the protests, um, the rioting, not everything is good, not everything is bad. I'm not going to say whether it's right or not, but I feel, you know, there are a lot, there's a lot of statistics that show um, social injustice towards people of color, um, of minorities, right? Um, and they're supposed to be, you know, after George Floyd, I thought there was going to be, you know, like everyone, think, everyone acted like there was going to be change, right? And I knew, like, you know, the protests happened, um, and then it, we got quiet, right? People move on. Mm-hmm. Everyone on social media was posting shit, and now everyone's on social media posting selfies and stuff that they do. You know, not, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying people move on, and mm-hmm. we accept the norms. We accept. We go back to what was comfortable, right? Um, and shining a light on injustice is not always comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. And having these kind of difficult conversations is not always comfortable. So we, we, we as we, we do avoid conflict. Right. And that's a form of conflict. Right. Having these difficult conversations and trying to init- like initiate and actually implement change um, is not easy because there are different positions to be held um, on the matter. Right. Um, conservatives versus liberals, Democrats versus Republicans. Right. And then you have the cool independence in between <laughs> or the moderates. But, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't really know, man. Like I, I actually don't, I, I'm not hopeful that there's going to be a convergence to love for, for the human race, unless there is a massive revolution. And I, and I, I don't want that because a massive revolution means bloodshed, right? That's what really takes, it takes real damage and real blood to be you know spilled to, to create you know, George, like Bernard Taylor, George Floyd, like all this stuff, like, you know, Zimmerman back, like all that stuff that happened, like that's when you start seeing a reaction. People tend to be reactive and they, they react to what's in front of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you could say the news is a prop, like a, is a, is helping or not. Right. That's a different conversation, but we react to what we see. And then once we've reacted, um, we don't really do anything else. And then there's a, I think on one end, there's a, a sense of, um, those who are victims, if they really are victims, and I'm, and I think they are, there's a sense of uh, they, they they feel like victims and they can feel defenseless, right? They it's harder to make to take control of your life, and then you start blaming and you play the victim, or you blame and you don't change your your situation, right? Like look what you did, you turned your yeah. life around, right? You come from humble means and you, well, you come from a very you have, you've had a a challenging upbringing, right? And you mm-hmm. You took control of your life, right? And you made something out of it. Um, not everyone is as fortunate, right? And systematic racism is real. Oppression is real, in my opinion. Um, you know, this country w- was built on the backs of, of slaves, right? So there's, there's something to be said about that. And the implications of slavery are still being felt, right? The ramifications of it are still being felt today, right? Um, people in power and staying power, like, I think it would take a revolution to really change shit. 
Um, and I'm not a revolutionary, right? But I just mm. feel like that's what it takes to really make long-lasting change. And it would take that. It would take extreme measures. and Or enlightenment. Yeah. A second wave of enlightenment. There's also that possibility, right? Yeah. If there's, if there's a second wave of enlightenment, then that would be a beautiful thing. Oh my God, I'd be so happy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's... Look, everybody's um, opinions around what has happened are different, right? Based on the lens and the filter that you experience the world in. Yeah. And I've really processed that at a deeply human level over the last couple months. And I agree with you because one of the things that's been constantly coming up in my consciousness is like, what has to change to see that this system in its current form doesn't work. There's a lot of incredible things. I still believe that in America, you have the opportunity to be anything that you want today. That doesn't mean that it comes easily. It doesn't mean that it comes without discipline and effort and energy and hard work and all of the things that you can pick up any sort of book or person that has done something incredible and you, it, that is within their, that is the basis of their story. Yeah. However, not every human it will, they, they just don't have it in them to pursue that, right? Out of some need or without some level of work on themselves. And I feel that the area that we should be like, what would happen if we stopped investing in war and started investing in, in true education to enlighten society? Right. And I think that is a worthy mission, however you can pursue that. And there's a number of ways. It doesn't have to be in politics. But what I see in our system is that it's evolved. It's taken the authoritative monarchy, patriarchy of old systems. And instead of one person, it's just created another class. And I think it's humans. It's human nature to create these class of like, now there's this, this very prominent political and business class in America. And we're living by that gospel of capitalism where we haven't kind of balanced it out with the human aspect of like, some people don't want to pursue careers over everything and that's okay. Yeah. You know, I'm a believer that you can get it all. Yeah. Uh, and you can, if it, depending on how you want your experience to be. Right. And there's just, I, I feel like we're just severely under, under invested in education, like at a crisis level. And we, we were talking about this the other day on the crisis of modern fatherhood. Yeah. 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 You know, that's, and, this is a fundamental thing. I mean, this is nature at its purest form. And there's a disruption in that of, I, I, we don't have to go into any of the reasons or whatever, or it, but that problem permeates. It doesn't look at color. It doesn't look at anything. This is, there's something going on in the universe where the family structure, which is kind of a nature, it's, it's a natural structure, has been disrupted. And it, it's, impact, it's impacted different people differently. 
Yeah. But from everyone I've talked to since I've started the journey of trying to put this on paper in terms of writing a book and yeah. have conversations about it, I bring it up and I'm shocked constantly at how many people it's impacted. Like I bring it up and people are like, oh yeah, I, my father wasn't around either. Yeah. My, this was, my mother wasn't around either. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty, it's alarming in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it's a big deal. Yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a root cause, um, the absentee father or, um, the father was there, but is not truly present or is not, does not want to be there. Right. Sometimes I think that's even worse. I know basically it comes back to love, man. A father was not giving love, right. And guidance, um, especially to, to young boys. Right. Cause you create, like you create this downward spiral, right. It reinforces it. Like it just makes the next generation of men, lesser men, if you will. Right. Without judgment, like it makes them not complete, not mature, masculine. It doesn't like if you like if you want to just t- keep it masculine versus feminine. Like and then the the polar opposite, the, the feminine, right? Their counterpart will will see that negative or immature side, and they will also act that way, right? If you're not, and then you have children, then that cycle is repeated, and it just becomes, you know, you have a lot of hurt in the world. You have a lot of issues and kids who are growing up bullying kids and then they teach their kids how to bully kids and then the kids keep bullying kids or abusing. There's all kinds of problems that arise from that. Right. And it's like, it basically, and then you create irresponsible parenting, right. Or irresponsible children having kids when they shouldn't be having kids. Right. Which leads to overpopulate. Like we're killing mother earth by overpopulating it. Right. We've already been doing that over, over consumption, overpopulation. Right. As a, as a species, like it's, it's, it's a problem. Right. And I don't, I don't know the solution. I really don't, but I do think it, if we can teach love more than anything, why is that not taught in, in school? Right. How to be uh, you know, love on like some of the good virtues. Like why don't we focus on like teaching philosophy first, right. And what it means to be human and then talk mathematics. Right. Because I think one's a lot more valuable than the other. And I'm a math guy and I'm not talking about math. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It comes it's, down to love, man. Like we don't have enough of it, you know, and, and unconditional love. It's, 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 it's lacking now in today's, in today's world. Um, and you see that in politics, you see that you know, close to home in, new, in the U.S. We're seeing it right now, right? One of the things, like, I'll say this openly, like, I'm not American, I can't vote, but I, um, I'm openly, I'm not a Trump fan as a human, right? I don't, or his antics, whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm not, I don't really appreciate him all that much. But I'm seeing people react, um, like, happily about him getting COVID. And it's shocking to me. I'm like, what the fuck? Like you're, you're, you're laughing, you're happy because somebody might die. I mean, that's not good, man. Yeah. You know, like irrespective of like, yeah, he could be, he could literally be the worst scum on earth, but you're playing to, if he were the worst scum on earth, you're playing to the level below that because you're happy he's sick and he might die. A disease that 
supposedly killed two million plus people or a million plus and 200 plus thousand, especially in the US, right? Like to go above it, you know, do not like be happy about somebody irrespective if you don't, irrespective if you hate that person, you should not be happy that you might, you know, fall, you might die. You should never, you know, sing praise in somebody's demise. If you want to talk karma, that's fucked up karma right there for you. Yeah. I was really shocked. I was like, uh, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. It's because there's it, no love. That the people, yeah, you know, they're, they're so charged. Yeah, you know, there's so much. Well, even neg- the fact that that like impacts. Anna brought it up this morning, and I was like, okay. I mean, I I, f- I feel for him, and I hope you know what. Regardless of like you said, regardless of you think what you think of a person, yeah, you t- never. I never want to wish ill on anyone. Correct. Yeah. And, but I also see that stuff like this impacting people in that way is like, I like what you said. It's like you're, you're vibrating at a lower frequency than consciousness and not, I'm not judging it. Yeah. It's, it just, it just is right. That's a, the negativity in that is a reflection of an internal experience. And I've been there plenty of times to recognize that plenty. Yeah. And I'm thankful that I've done the work to, there is another frequency that you can choose to vibrate on and it's love, you know, it's true. It's true. It is love. It it is love. And it's a beautiful frequency. It is. I mean, it's seriously, I mean, look, and I, I I was telling you this the other day, like I, I actually enjoy, um, vibrating between two frequencies. Like I, I like going down. I've been doing that a little bit lately. Like I've been, tapping into my primitive nature a little bit more, right? And I'll I'll say some fucked up shit or provocative <laughs> shit. I'll just say just a fuck with, you know, I, I just, I'll do it and I'll, I'll get angry. I'll let myself get angry and I'll observe myself get angry. I'm like, oh, interesting. You know, because I've been so, I've, I've been on this journey of like deep self-reflection and meditation and self-actualization. And I was like, okay, well, let me, and, and spirituality, like I really connect strongly with the divine, right? And I'm like, but let me not do that. Let me, you know, let me fight fire with fire. Like if I get in an argument, let me just say my point, right? It was like, I'll, I'll push back and I'll fight. And, you know, I won't like back down, right? Be an asshole. I'll be, I'll be a dick. And I was, I'm sorry, baby. Um, <laughs> recently, right? <laughs> Full just, moon. Full moon. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I like I, I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? That's that's the human experience, right? The yin and yang exists within all, right? Um, there's negative and positive energy. And serenity is the balance of the both, right? So I think it's 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 okay to feel charge, but you have to you have to be you have to recognize it. And you can't live it, you can't be it. You can experience it, but you can't identify you can't say this is who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I just said, um, it sounds like a contradiction. I'm anti-Trump or I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like him. Trump does not affect who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. However, policies that he puts in place or the administration or the Congress like affect people's lives. So I understand how they can feel a certain way and I, you know, how I can feel a certain way, but you, it's important to look within and recognize that that's just me experiencing a certain feeling as part of being as a, as part of the human experience. Right. And if you can detach from 
man, this sounds like so like trippy. If you can detach from, <laughs> I'm just like hearing myself telling this. I'm like, if, <laughs> if you can detach from that, um, the emotions and the experiences and recognize that's just part of the moment passing, right? It's part of the flow of the universe. Um, and you recognize that you as a high, as, as consciousness, you as, you know, the higher being, um, as just experiencing it, I think once you're able to start doing that, you choose whether or not you want to engage at a lower level and life changes entirely. I mean, you, you have to master that skill and you have to master that kind of presence, right? But the more you do it, the better you get at it. And the less, for example, you can get knocked off your spiritual path. Like I know you're really good where you are, right? Like it's really hard to, to tap, like to come in, like somebody would have to slap you in the face for to, <laughs> to mess with you, right? But even now, I don't know if that would even bother me anymore. You like turn to the cheek? Right. I yeah. mean, I may choke him out or try to. <laughs> right. Yeah. But no, I, I know what you mean though. It's, um, yeah. Experience it's, it, just experience, letting yourself experience it and not judge it. Do you remember that, um, at date with destiny, the Tony Robbins, um, conference, right? Do you remember when he spoke of the seven levels, um, of consciousness? I don't remember the exact every level and yeah. every color. And the, what they associated with, but I remember some of it. I remember there was beige, which is a primitive, destructive self, right? Mm-hmm. Just everything is a reaction without mm-hmm. thinking. That's the first level of consciousness. Then there's red, where you're only about yourself, right? You're, you're very egotistical. I think there was, there was orange, where you're like super pragmatic and all about functionality. Then there was blue i don't know if blue was before orange where it's all about laws rules and regulation and then the religion fell under that and you know and then there was green where it's about loving earth right and then there was i believe it was uh i think it was yellow yeah yellow where you can you have the ability to go between every level and then there was blue or turquoise which is divinity, right? Which is the highest level of consciousness. And I remember when he was talking about it, I was like, you know, like, he's like, what do you identify with? Uh, and I had a hard time answering that question for myself. Cause I really felt, you know, like I can't, like, I was like, he, he was, he made a claim that to, you know, Tony's point is that to really feel great in today's society, being able to tap into yellow is amazing. Cause you can go in between mm-hmm. every level and you, you can play whatever role you need to play to, to capitalize on the moment, so to speak. Right. So I, I was like, that, that makes no sense to me. Right. Cause I, I was like, you would want to be turquoise or blue. You don't want, you want to be always at the elevated space. Like, you know, like, um, feeling in touch with God, so to speak. But I actually last in the last couple of weeks, I started realizing yellow. Like, I feel like I'm in yellow. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. I, I flow between states very easily now, right? Um, and it, it's it's really really beautiful, man. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I do remember that. It was a before I even saw that I had developed a belief that people's level of consciousness dictate their entire experience. Yeah, and I still believe that, and I agree with you. It, I, at the time, I remember identifying with. I could touch into yellow, but I was kind of like not there as yeah. a, you know, as a home. Yeah. Like my daily experience. Yeah. And I've, 
I've progressed into that higher level where I can experience the other things, but I never leave that turquoise, whatever. And, and I think part of it is like just the understanding that that is always there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it really, it really is. And it's, I've cut out labeling things and judging things. And even, even as a parent where, you know, they're minor things like little frustrations of like the kids not listening. Right. And when you let go of some of those things, you just stop labeling it and there's zero charge. There's just love. And that doesn't mean that you don't elevate your voice or you don't do something. That's not what it means. Yeah. Right. And that you still have to be able to communicate with other levels of consciousness. Right. When kids are on their own, they're literally in their own universe. Right. Yeah. Which is incredible to see. They're developing, right? It's it's a, it's a beautiful, you've seen that journey. Right. Yeah. That's and that's so cool. It is. It is. And it's I've I've found an even deeper what I this is what I told I talked to Steve G yesterday. Nice. And he was like, How you doing, man? And I just paused for a minute. I was like, I am big wave surfing in consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. That's it, man. That's the only way I could describe it in that moment. You know, that's the way I can describe it right now. I thought you were going to say, I'm big pimping. (laughs) (laughs) Spending G's. No, it's, uh, I think people, once they realize that it's just a choice and that you have the power within you to make that choice, it's kind of, it kind of goes full circle to what we were talking about earlier of like that inner journey is the most valuable journey that exists. And just the awareness of it. Everyone's going to go through it at some point. Most people go through it right before they die. Oh. And they, because it's, they, it doesn't occur to them until uh. the possibility of life is um, put into question. That's and I think it's a beautiful thing to reflect. Like what you said, you mentioned something earlier, like you, you wake up and you're just like grateful for oh, yeah. life, you know? I live in a state of gratitude, man. I mean, I'm not at your level. I'll be honest. Like I'm, I don't stay in that state of bliss all the time. That's also because I have a lot of, I'm, I'm doing a lot. So I'm, I'm being extremely orange, right? Like I'm being hyperproductive and I'm trying to like get a lot of shit done mm-hmm. and my, my motor is turning fast. Right. So, so my body is moving and my mind is moving and my soul is not always able to just stay in a blissful state. Right. So I'm observing all that. Um, and I'm okay with it. I'm like, that's why I was saying, I'm like, I'll, I'll enjoy that ride because this is cool as well. Right. But my awareness has, has like jumped up, but I do, I can instantly within a minute, just like stop and feel gratitude and energy rushes through me. Right. Like I, I can, that's like my, like, I feel that in my soul. Like I'm thankful for being alive, for experiencing life. Right. And, uh, you know, I can, I'm very grateful. You know, I, I don't need to feel anything else. Right. That's Grat- incredible. You, you can't really feel if you, if you find gratitude and you, you, you live in that space or you choose to live in that space, you can't really feel negative charge. Right? That's right. That's right. right. And I feel like gratitude is an easier thing to attain 
that like a state of gratitude is easier to attain than a state of unconditional love or serenity or like you know like one of the high highest levels of like positive enlightenment if you want whatever um because gratitude just requires that you stop and just look at what you have and there's always something you can be grateful for right there's always something you can be thankful for right you just have to stop and look within um instead of like looking on your instagram feed at this guy who has a rolex and you don't know some shit or this girl who's got a tighter butt than than you like i don't know right people look outwards more mm-hmm. than they do look inward and uh it's harder to, to live in a state of gratitude when you're just always looking outside because to be grateful you need to look within and see what you have and i spend way more time looking within than i do i don't really give a shit about everyone else what they have what they don't have like i i mean i care about what people don't have in terms of like you know um equal opportunity to stuff and like social justice and blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to like what they live on a micro level, I don't really think about that. You know, I don't really mm-hmm. notice what people are doing. Like I'm looking within and I'll look what I can control. So yeah, man, greatness comes from within. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. I think that's a beautiful place to uh, wrap this up. Episode uh, number 13, man. Okay. Number 13. We gotta get that going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I I love you, bro. I love you. I, I really I love you, man. I it I feel like I need to just give you a giant hug. Well, I, I feel your cosmic juices, bro. Yeah, I'm sending, it, I'm sending it right back. Yeah, this That's is this beautiful. is cool, man. Let's do it again. Yeah, I. I appreciate the time. This is, uh, we'll make, we'll, we'll get the right interval down on this, you know, as things develop. I'm, I'm to do number 13 with anybody else would be, uh, wholly unacceptable. That would, I would judge you for that. (laughs) (laughs) We're not friends anymore. (laughs) I don't love you no more. (laughs) Don't me love me love. (laughs) Now, so, I want to now. Fuck. For... <laughs> <laughs> All I do love you. I do love you too, man. Oh, this is great. All right. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Episode number 13 in the books. This is uh, an amazing milestone. No episode number 13 shall exist without Cyril Morale properly going through meditation and the spiritual journey that he's been on over well for his whole life he really has shared a lot and a, a number of takeaways i mean it's it's always a meditation when we talk so i appreciate your time you can find him on instagram the creolito uh and you can check him out in the universe in general stay tuned he's going to be doing some very interesting things coming up in the future we'll have him on the show again thank you guys for listening and uh chris williams thank you man appreciate it Boom. Out.